chapter 20. I'd like to look at this first for you. We'll start in verse 8, and we'll just read a couple of verses, and then we'll break it down. Here's what it says. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Just put a little exclamation in your head on that line right there where it says, by keeping it holy. All right? And we'll come back to it. You have six days each, each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, and your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. So you get that there. I mean, it's just like this whole gamut of everyone involved. Most of you probably don't have livestock in your house, but you know, like... But your dog and cat can't do any work on that day. That's what he's saying, okay? So. All right, so uh, in six, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So that's what we get here. This is the command to rest. It's the command with rest. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing with this one? Do, do good? Yeah, no, I, I think a, a lot of us, we, we would say, not, uh, not too great. Uh, this is tough. This is a tough commandment for us to follow. This is a, a tough suggestion even for us to follow. Here's why. I think for most of us, when we read this and we look at God's Word, especially in our American culture, we think this is really not that big a deal, right? I mean, we, we kind of view it this way, like we've got nine commandments and a suggestion, right? And that's kind of how we live it. And, and so this one gets pushed to the side a little bit. So work hard six days, really hard, and on the seventh day, if you don't have emails backed up that you need to get to or, you know, uh, whatever else you might need to do, then go ahead and take some time and rest and go out and, uh, and maybe do something with your family or, or that kind of thing or hit a movie or that type of thing. That's how we process this. So if we process it that way, then it's very easy to, to make this nine commandments and a suggestion, or nine commandments and if I get around to it type of thing. Here's the problem. It, it's not a suggestion. It's not listed that way. Either we look at the Ten Commandments and we say, hey, this collective group, these Ten Commandments as a whole, are extremely valuable. It's a moral code and law that God introduces that continues on in His Word through the New Testament as well. Or we throw out all ten. And we say that these aren't, these aren't valuable, these others as well. And we look at this, and we, we would say, uh, if you wanted to talk about, like, just number of words, right? If you read down through it, depending on your translation, there's 317 words that make up the Ten Commandments, right? And if you're like me, I would just easily say, okay, that's Ten Commandments, that's 31.7, 32 words per commandment, right? doesn't work out that way. We find that this commandment here, this fourth commandment, is 102 words long on that 317 word translation. If we take the third uh, into account that we talked about last week, 94 words are found in the third. So we find there that many, two-thirds of the words in the Ten Commandments are found there. Now, 
just because there's a lot of words doesn't necessarily mean something is all that more important. Um, Sierra is a blast to talk to sometimes, but she is reaching that age as a little girl where she can go and go and go and go with a conversation. We were in the car a couple weeks ago, and she says, Dad, I just feel like I can't stop talking. <laughs> or so I said, in my head I said, I know. Um, and, and then she just kept going with the story and sharing something that she was very excited about from school that day. But God is not a little preteen girl. All right? When God speaks this way, and when God uses many more words, God is speaking deliberately. He's speaking emphatically. He is saying to us, look, I want to make sure this is really, really clear what I'm talking about and how significant this is to you. And so he speaks about this in this, this Sabbath, this thing that often as we live, we seem to live and say is a suggestion. Um, we look at uh, Sabbath and murder, I think, as two different things. Do you ever look at Sabbath and murder as different things? Um, God looks at it as the same. In fact, we look and say, murder, evil, no question about it, right? I mean, that's evil. Adultery, evil, no question about it. Coveting your neighbor's stuff, you know, certainly to the point of taking it. I mean, that clearly, these are not things we're supposed to be doing as believers in God and, and as, as followers of Christ. Now, it would be easy, no-brainers right here. I mean, put God first, that makes sense. Make an idol, that's terrible to make an idol. When we just worship God, we understand... Using the Lord's name in vain. We talked about that last week. But then we get to this Sabbath here, and I think it's hard for us to say that to have no Sabbath, to find no rest and no connection with God and what he's established here as evil, as unholy, as wrong, I don't know about you, but it's even hard to say those words, and I've written them on the paper to share with you today. It's just hard for us to look at things that way. I just want to tell you, that's how God looks at it. That's what God is saying when he puts this into play in the very beginning here. And he starts to walk through this. It's not just God, though, that has a lot to say about this thing of the Sabbath and honoring God and resting and making it holy. The Jewish people did, too. They're called the Hebrews here at this time, or the Israelites. We, the, those flow through in the Old Testament, and we, we hear more Jews, Jewish in the New Testament. Same group. But they had a lot to say about this. In fact, 500 years after Jesus... There was a book written, it was a book of Jewish wisdom, it was a very religious book, put together called the Talmud. Have you heard of this, some of you? Yeah. And it is huge, like an encyclopedia huge. And one whole book of the Talmud is about the Sabbath. Right? It says what you can do, what you can't do, what constitutes work, what does, doesn't constitute work. Uh, well, all God says is don't work on the Sabbath. But these Jewish scholars would get together, much like we would sometimes, and we would say, what is work? What constitutes work? I mean, carrying a heavy load would be work, right? But how much is a heavy load actually work? So as they wrote this down and they looked at these things, they had an answer for us. Two acorns. That, that's the answer. That's, I'm not making that up. Two acorns would be what you could carry. So if you were out and you had your, your, your two acorns and you decided to pick up a third acorn, you couldn't carry that acorn because that would be work. That would be carrying out. Now you could eat the acorn and then carry your two and that'd be just fine. But three was too much. It's over the top. 
And we could break a sweat on the, on the forehead if we do that. So that was a no. If you put your shoes on in the morning, if you could tie your shoes or if you could put your shoe on with one hand, not work. But if you could put your shoes on and you needed a second hand, that's work. Can't do that. Now, I don't know about Jewish footwear back in the day, but I, I can't even envision putting my shoe on, sometimes even my uh, no-tie shoes, with just one hand. Uh, but that was the law. Two was work. You see where it's going here. What is work? On and on and on. Uh, that this goes. Now, here's another one. Um, uh, women, this is for you. Not me. It's the Talmud. Okay? All right? Not me. You cannot take a look at yourself in the mirror on the Sabbath. Why? Because you're vain and you lack self-control. Not, not me. This is a Talmud. Okay? All right? Because if you happen to look at yourself and you discovered a gray hair, you would be too vain and tempted to pluck it out on the Sabbath, which would constitute work on the Sabbath. So you can't do that on the Sabbath. And I know some of you are thinking, well, this is craziness here. Surely, I mean, that's 500 years after Christ. Surely they don't do this today. Well, if you were to go to Jerusalem uh, now, and you were to get into a, a kosher elevator, and some of you are thinking, what is a kosher elevator? I'm so glad you asked. Um, an elevator that, as it's going up or down, would open, be programmed to open on every single floor. Why? Because pushing button is work. And now, before you condemn this as legalism, before you say this is just utter nonsense, you need to know that for the most part, the Sabbath has never been a burden for the Jewish people. In fact, it creates this space for them to connect with God and to connect with their family that doesn't otherwise exist in their, in their schedules, in their week. It creates this opportunity for them to commune and to, as they would say, and as we have read, to keep the day holy. This is something we struggle to know anything about in our American culture. It is as they would view it, they would call it, it's a blessing that they cherish. Though we would look at it often as rules. 2004, uh, there was a New York Times article, uh, September 9th, and it said this, that the medical cost of stress in America, this is America, is estimated to be $300 billion. Medical costs and stress. I don't know how they get these numbers, but 300, that's the B if you miss that. 300 billion dollars. In fact, if you go back and you look at the, the wars that we've, we've had uh, recently here and the, the, the troops overseas going back in the last 14 years, this would actually cost more than, than that. 300 billion dollars that they would attribute to stress relation in America. Stress in America. Look, God gave us stress. He gave us stress for a purpose. Like, works really good on, like, the Serengeti, you know, if you're out there and a lion might be running after you and the stress does something in you and it causes you to, you know, to kick it in gear or, or do something or understand danger. Those are good things. But God didn't design us to live within that stress on a daily basis. He didn't say, here is your house. This house is called stress. Now, move your, you know, your bed and your furniture in and this is where you're going to live. That wasn't what it was designed. Now, 
1984, there was a book by Richard Swinson. You might have heard of it. It's called Margins. Anybody familiar with that book? It's called Margins. And uh, here's what, one of the things he says in his book. He said that if you look at a book that was published, all right, not a current edition of it, but if it was actually published 150 years ago, what you see is you see words that are really small and very, very close together and oftentimes go all the way to the edge of the pages. Why? Because publishers at that time thought if they could get more words into a book and more words on a page, then they could allow the reader to receive more and more information or story or whatever it is in a book. Now, modern psychologists have discovered, and you probably already know it, that your eyes actually need a margin, that a space between is really good and a space on the edges is really good. And you can actually read easier and and retain more with this. And so the issue is margin, schedule, rest. Take a look at the back of your program this morning. This is something we can start together. You can finish it on your own. In fact, it might be best finished in conversation with your spouse or family. In Swinson's book, he writes four things that he would say, four things that he would say, we have trouble finding margin in. In fact, I, I just another thing, some of you may not have grabbed this on your way in, so if you don't have this while well, I start to walk through, slip up your hand and Richard will get you a copy up here uh, as he comes through. These four things. Now, where each of these are, let's just propose this is 20% to 80% in your life. Meaning, let's take a look at the top one here, emotional. The long part of the page is 80% and the short margin is 20%. All right? Because there's a principle about living, uh, living with about 20% margin in your life is healthy. And so here's what we're going to do. As we look at each of these, if you feel like for yourself that you probably live with about 20% margin, and you're going to be the one that has to, to, to estimate what that is, I want you to just simply fold your page over, over the word of whichever one we're about to walk through. If it's less, if you would say, look, I, I live with like zero margin or very, very little margin, then you're going to fold that as close to the edge as you can. Make sense? We'll walk through it and it'll become even more clear. Um, let's take a look just at our time at the very bottom. If you look at your time over the course of the week and you would say, you know, I work with about 80% of my time and about 20% of my time, I have the freedom and flexibility to decide over the course of my week uh, what we do or we're, that we're going to rest here or, you know, we have some family stuff here. And your, your schedule is not dictated to you 100%, 80%. If you'd say 80%, you're doing pretty good uh, by American standards for sure. You would fold it right on the word time. But if you like most Americans, there's not many of us that can fold it on the word time. And you would say, no, I'm running maybe 10% at best. You're going to fold it about halfway from time to the bottom of the page. And if you say, look, I have no idea what margin means for time because every week I've got, I've got Zippo time in my life, period. In fact, uh, it's, it's amazing to me that I, you know, I'm still able to hang on to what I'm actually doing because I don't, I don't know time-wise where it's going to come from. You'd be, very down, you'd be down at the bottom and maybe you don't feel like you can make a fold at all in your time. What do, you, what do you think that does to us in our time, in our schedule, in what we decide 
to do when we have no margin at the end. Opportunity comes up and we have to say no to opportunity. Why? Because our margin doesn't allow us to do that as well. Rest comes up and it's hard to rest because our schedule doesn't allow us to do it. Yesterday I was sitting with somebody from the church here who said, uh, you know, we thought about coming to that, but we said, you know, no, we're doing something on Saturday already. Now, as a pastor, because I know that the something they said no to was, was one of our serving opportunities, the pastor might say, well, that is just sinful. So why would you not come to the serving opportunity, you know? Uh, maybe you need to look at a few verses. But really, in my heart, I said, you know, that's a great principle. That's good. Now, if this person never did any serving opportunity, they always chose, then maybe we'd have a conversation. That's not the case. But they were saying, we create margins, and we hold on to those margins with our schedule and our time. Look over at finances if you flip the page. Same type of thing. If you look and say, look, we, I, we have about 20% that is left over at the end. We're, we're able to put it in savings. We're able to tithe. I mean, we, we, live, we, we don't spend all that margin on our, our living. So about 80% on our living and about 20% that we have left over in that margin to honor God with that and to, to put away in savings. You just fold right across the finances line. But if you say, like many Americans, no, that's not us at all, we don't, we don't have any margin, then you're going to have to start folding on wherever you think it is between finances and the end of the page. Most of us, or many Americans, if they were not to receive their next paycheck, they'd be in a dire, dire situation. In fact, it's said that many of us live about 7, 7% over meaning we spend 7% more than we actually take in over the course of a month. You're good enough at math. You know how long you can hang on with that. Flip over to physical. We don't think about this often. But this is just asking the question, how well do you take care of yourself physically? Uh, I mean, are you somebody you've thought about kind of your diet or thought about how, how you're just taking care of your body as well? Now, when I finished the race yesterday, I'm going to tell you the best part of the race yesterday. It was the part when I was done and when my heart rate stopped um, because I needed about five minutes. Uh, I thought I was going to explode. Uh, and then it was really nice because I was like, man, I'm an exerciser. I'm a runner. I went out and ran today. Uh, now we were talking about in the afternoon and I would not envision myself running those every day. But, uh, um, but there was a, this great feeling of, of taking care of yourself, physical how do you, well do you do on that? And then emotional as well. You're picking up the flow of this so we don't have to, to talk uh, in too in depth. I would say emotionally there are some times when you maybe don't have control emotionally like you have in some of these other categories. But ask yourself emotionally, do, do, you, do you ever have it left over to care for somebody else, to speak to somebody else, to receive or to offer somebody else something as well. So, there's your paper. Now, if you looked at that paper and all your lines were between the word and the end of the page, um, Richard Swinson in his book would say, you know, you're, you're in some trouble in your life. It's tough in your life. It's going to be tough to manage things in your life. And you probably someday will will add into this $300 billion stress type of medical expenses because it takes a toll on our body. And we just, we cannot outrun our biology. It's just how we were designed. 
here's the interesting thing. Richard Swenson wrote this book in 1994. That's not that long ago, 20 years ago, right? When God wrote this scripture, he's really speaking about the exact same thing. When he looked at us and he said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, here's what he's saying is, I understand that I created your body to need rest. And you can't function without of it. Now, I had um, a couple Facebook things, Eric Cartret, that were put out there about uh, my enjoyment sometimes in doing CrossFit. <laughs> Eric. Um, so, uh, but this next story is a CrossFit story, so just sit there and be quiet. So I learned this this week, um, and I didn't know this. Um, there's, a, there's an exercise that uh, actually many people do, I know the military does it as well, where it's 100 straight pull-ups. I mean, imagine doing 100 straight pull-ups. I can't imagine um, being able to, to get through that. Um, it's 100 straight pull-ups, and I've been doing this um, exercise for years and years and years and years and years, right? And there's actually these world records that are attached to it and how you have to do the pull-ups so that so it all has a standard, right? And for pulling up, not using your body, but just using your arms straight, so no momentum base to call strict, pulling straight up, the, the record was somewhere around five and a half minutes for 100 pull-ups. Not five and a half hours, which I think would be more of my time. Five and a half minutes for this. A guy came along just, just a couple years ago, and he decided to do a totally different strategy that had never been done. He went up to the bar, and instead of getting on there and just repping and repping till he was tired and, and having to drop, he did three, and he stopped. He did three, and he stopped. He did three. This guy was capable of doing 30 or 40 easy. Three and stop, three and stop, three and stop, three and stop, all the way to 100. You want to guess what his time was? 421. 421. And what is it saying there? Just in a simple way, it's saying it, your body does better with a little bit of recovery. Do you know what the word Sabbath actually means? It's the word Shabbat. And it actually means, um, it, it, actually, if you ask somebody, they will say it means Saturday. But if you trace it in Hebrew, what it actually means is the word is recession, to recess. That means to step back away. Recess at school is what? You go out of your classroom and you go play for 15 minutes, for a half hour, or whatever it is in, in the schools today. Recess. Why? Because the kids need to stop staring at the whiteboard or the chalkboard. They need to be able to go out and play. We understand this concept. God wrote this in, in the beginning. Now, I know some of you. Here's what you're thinking. You're like, but Tom, this is the law. We're not bound by the law anymore. Jesus freed us from the law. Read the book of Romans. I know the book of Romans. I understand. But let's look back at the verse for a second. Verse 11. For in six days God made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in, him, in them, but on the seventh day he rested. What is God saying in that verse right there? This has nothing to do with law. This has to do with creation. It's how I created you. When I designed the world, when I designed you, when I built it in at the very beginning of creation, I designed this for rest. Now, I don't think God needed rest, but I think God is building it into us from the beginning to show us, after you have worked really hard, you need rest. You need the rest. And so he calls us to that. 
so much so that when it came time to put his law into place for his people, he said, I'm going to put it in there and I'm going to emphatically put it in there with 102 words so you really get this. Here's what also God knew. When he put this into being, he knew that they had just come from Egypt where they worked seven days and they worked seven hard, hard days in the 15 to 20 hour range every day. You think your, your hours are long. That's long. And he said, look, that is never what I designed for you. This is what I've designed for you. Go crazy for six days. Work hard. But on the seventh day, don't do it. Rest. Relax. Here's a few com commitments as I was going through, and I, I want to just throw them out for you. And you might say, man, that hits me perfectly. And then, we'll, uh, and then I want to put a bow on this thing. Commitment number one is this, is that I will ruthlessly reduce my commitments. You might be in that camp. You might right now need to say, hey, I've got to reduce some commitments that I'm involved in. For some of us, here's the biggest struggle, and I, I say us very on purpose, okay? For some of us, it's looking at our kids and saying, hey, we can do this, we can't do that. You can be a part of this, you can, we'll join up, we'll sign up for this, we're not going to sign up for this. And it's the hardest thing. I mean, the times where I've looked at my kids and said, look, we're, we're not going to sign up for that. I hate it. I hate it. But it's a blessing to our family, usually, when we've done that and we start walking through it. I've shared with you the stat before. When I was growing up, and, and maybe many of you, somewhere around one activity was what most kids were involved in. Now it's 1.7 when it averages out activities that the average kid is involved in in a household. Times a household times three or four kids, you understand the chaos right away. Sometimes we just have to reduce our commitments. Can I share with you one more thing that is very different in the last 25 years of American culture? Adult activity. Adult activity. Meaning we have our hobbies, we have our interests, we have our things we like to do, we have our nights where we go do those type of things, and many of those things, instead of being a one-night thing, are something that's part of even our daily life. And you can create your own list, because if I throw out something, then you know, you'll be the one I offend. But the list goes on and on. Things that adults now get into and they become their activities. They go beyond maybe the word even hobby and become what we're involved with many times even on a daily basis. Might have to ruthlessly reduce our commitments. Here's the second thing. I think if, if you make that first commitment, I think you've got to make this second commitment. And that's I've got to share my margins with another. Meaning I, I'm going to have to share those commitments with somebody else. I'm going I'm to need accountability and help. Because, look, guess what? Your family will probably forgive you most of the times. So if you start and you stop, your family will probably roll with it as well. In fact, your kids may not even catch on that we started something and we stopped something. As they get older, they certainly, certainly do. Sharing with somebody, getting accountability. Your neighborhood group that you're a part of, that's a great place to share. To say, hey, you know, we're trying to commit to this. This is important. God spoke to us this way. It just gives an opportunity for some other people to say, hey, how are you doing with that? How can we help? How can we be a blessing? And on and on and on. Here's a third commitment um, for some of you is we need to learn to say, hey, how'd you, did I go up on the screen? Oh, I've got the dramatic effect. You were supposed to all say no, and then I was going to say no. 
Yeah. Um, it looked really, in my head, it looked really cool. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to have to sometimes learn to say yes. And when I say that, there, it's, it's, it's easy to say no to things, uh, and it's easy to say yes to things. But learning to say yes on what is significant to you and your family. That's what we need to do. Learning to have this, this defined yes that this is what our family is going to be about, and we're going to say yes to this opportunity. This is going to push us a little bit, but it so works into the goal of our family and who we are, we're going to say yes here. This is not over here. This, this is going to occupy our time, or this is just, man, I just feel obligated to do this. I, I'm going to say no over here. And so learning to say yes on things that are significant and central to who we are. And then the, the fourth one just connects perfectly with it. In fact, maybe the two go hand in hand. I will learn to say yes to Jesus. Let me tell you what happens. We talk about reduced commitments. We talk about sharing your margins. We talk about saying yes or no or however you interpreted that there. And here's what happens a lot. We stay involved with all of our stuff we do in the week, our sports leagues and everything else. And we come to pastors and we say, you know, God's just calling me away from serving anymore. And, and before we know it, we are involved with everything we are involved, or nearly everything we are involved, but we're not involved in serving for his kingdom in any way. Why? Because we're so busy. and We can't take another thing. And just ask yourself, does God look at us and go, excellent, love it. Way to reduce your schedule. No, he wants us to make a kingdom impact. He wants us to say yes to the things that are important to Christ and Christ's mission as well. And if our schedule is so jam-packed that there's no margin to make a kingdom impact, we're in trouble in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to work in the kids' department or come to every Saturday of service opportunity. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in your life making a kingdom impact. And the more we fill our lives up, the less we have the opportunity to make any kingdom impact. And so let's finish this off and, and ask this, this final thing. I think for many of us, as we take this, we would apply this to our lives, and this is what we would do. We would start to find areas where we could rest. We need to rest. We'll go out to the lake, we'll take a book, we'll sit and we'll read, or you'll get in a, a, a canoe, or you know, you'll just go do something different and you'll just relax and rest. All good things. I like them too. I'd like to do more of those type of things. So understandable. But in the beginning of God's word, all the way through, what we find is this. There is no separation between rest and worship. Rest and connection with God is the same. It is connected to the same. Here's what we do. I'm going to go rest here, and we don't involve worship. Worship is an activity. I come to church, and it's an activity we do. We do as a family. Um, but rest is, is something different. And so we have to schedule two different things, right? Schedule a time to worship, schedule a time to rest, and it adds to our schedule. But that wasn't the understanding in the beginning. Remember, when God wrote this, people weren't going off to baseball leagues and, 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 and doing these type of things. They were doing their work, and they were worshiping. In fact, it's interesting in the book of Genesis when he talks about work or the, the Sabbath or works about the, the six days of work, we don't even find a reference where they're worshiping God during the six days. Now, I'm not sure the Bible's telling us don't worship God during the six days, so don't hear this wrong. But 
we find that the focus is their work during the six days, and then worship on the seventh day. And that worship was rest. That worship was stepping away from all of that and being totally focused on being able to commune and connect and be with God. Rest and worship were together. In fact, this is what uh, the Bible really teaches us, that your rest is found in your worship, in your time with God. That when you commune with God and connect with God, your body finds rest. Let me share a couple of verses with you. Here's what Jesus said. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Here's God, uh, Jesus saying right here that the Sabbath was designed to meet your need, your need for rest. The Sabbath was designed for that. The Sabbath wasn't designed so that you could follow every rule in the Talmud. You're, the Sabbath was designed to meet your need. Your need is rest all the way back to creation. That's your need as a human to rest. And then it says in verse 28 here, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. That when we commune and connect with him, we find rest. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, 9 through 10, it says this, So there's a special what? Rest. Still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, but as God did after, just as God did after creating the world. There's this connection between our time and our con- communion with God and rest. Should you spend time with your family on the Sabbath? Sure, sure. But if we do all of our stuff and we forget the time with God, that that is really ultimately what brings rest. Here's how I think we struggle in implementing this. And I want to pray for you. That we make the commitment that we're going to rest. And so we plan a bunch of things that will give us rest. Vacation away, whatever it is for rest. At the end of the day, we find that really, it really didn't do a whole lot. It was nice, enjoyable, but now I'm right back to the grind and it feels just the same as when I left the grind. Because we've forgotten what we just read in the three verses. That if we enter into our rest, into our Sabbath rest, without connection and communion with God, then we've never really received the rest that God's Word is talking about. There's something richer and deeper in that time of rest. And so I want to challenge and encourage you, believers especially today, to investigate what this means to your life. For some of you, it, it means you've got a work situation you need to switch up. Not because, oh, because i got to get to that hour of church, then I'll go to work. That's not what we're talking about. And I'm a big believer in getting to church, you know that. But because you have no margin for rest in your life. You have no opportunity to commune with God, to be quiet before God, and to let Him speak to you. You, know, you just don't have that. For some of you, you're just going to have to flat out say, hey, I've got this activity that we, we do all the time, we like doing it, but... It eliminates opportunity for Sabbath, for rest. And we're going to have to, we'll have to cut that out or change that entirely in our life. God could be speaking to you in whatever way he is. Say yes. Receive that of him. I'm going to pray for you specifically because I would guess, looking on these other things, this will be a hard, maybe the hardest of the ones we'll walk to, to implement. I 
think when I preach on murder, I would guess most of you will go out and go, I got it. I'm not, you, know, you won't go out and violate it. This would be a struggle. It would be a struggle. And if we, if we look at American culture, it'll probably be a struggle for a pretty good majority. So let's pray on that and give you opportunity now to quietly go before God, to hear from Him, to commit to Him if need be, and to walk out with some type of transformation in your thinking. Let's pray. Father, we just lift up this. And Father, I, I recognize, for me personally, it's, it's a hard one. Lord, I, I live like it's a suggestion sometimes. And don't receive the blessing that you have to offer in a time of rest. In a day where I step aside and I say, well, you know, we're not doing that. We're, today, we're, we're communing with God. We're going to worship. We're going to rest. My nap. <laughs> but Lord, you've designed us. And Lord, I would, I would suspect that in, in a, a message with a lot of information like this that you probably hit people in all different ways. And so Lord, I just want to give a quiet moment here where everyone in this room can go before you and just speak to you. Commit to you if that's what you've already put on their heart. Or ask, Lord, tell me more, God. Challenge me more. Whatever it is, would you take these next few moments here of, of quietness as Anson plays here and, and just connect with God on this issue. serve you. But Lord, really, this, this issue of the Sabbath, it's, it's also for us. It's, it's our rest. It's our health. It's our ability to move through and make it through and continue through and to thrive in life. And so, Lord, hear every word that was just said to you. And would your Holy Spirit empower everyone to walk in whatever commitment they were making, in other, whatever way you challenged them this morning. We pray that in your son's name. Amen. As always, if you, if just something the Lord hit you with and you want to share that with us, just write it on that card that we gave you and our check a box, and, and that would be a, be a greatest way for us to connect with you um, throughout the week would be great. So, all right. Well, uh, appreciate you coming on this one, and it's uh, as a hard one. We're going to continue our series the next few weeks as we as we hit these other ones that are more horizontal relationships. So I encourage you to plug in. But uh, for now, our, our, our ushers are going to come through. They'll receive our tithes and offering uh, this morning, and uh, we're going to go out singing one more. So let me invite you to to stand and join in and worship as we close this service on our Sabbath. <laughs>